Have you seen that radiant glow on the face of new parents? After nine months of pregnancy, after labor and delivery, they hold in their arms their new child. And just against their chest, their hearts are beating together. And then it's as if all the future things, all the restless nights and all the anxiety and all the fear of what this child will become are all gone away because right now in this moment, there is joy because of this child. There is hope and there is this overflowing experience of joy. My friend once told me about his mom and how his mom would work two jobs and struggle to put food on the table to pay the bills and as a single mom, then she would not only do all this, but then struggle to be present to her kids. He told me that every night he remembers growing up as she told them a story, tucked him into bed, got him that one glass of water, and then she would stand as she shut the door to his bedroom and look at him and say, you, you are my pride and joy. You are my pride and joy. I met a man one time who, late in his life, he had an active and good life, but late in his life, cancer, uh, the diagnosis of, of cancer came. And I remember just spending, I'd visit him every couple of weeks through this about two-year process. And through all the doctor's treatments, through all the chemotherapy, he just seemed to get weaker and weaker. And I, I remember always asking him, you know, how are you doing? And the only thing that ever came out was how proud he was of his wife how his kids and what they're doing in the world, and then his grandkids. He would just tell me story after story of what they're up to and what they're doing, and I, I couldn't get him to ever share about himself, and he, he just took all this joy in what his kids were doing and what his grandkids were doing, and I remember asking him on the last days of his life how he remained so, so joyful, and I remember him just basically telling me that I had lived a good and long life, and now... I get to see that my grandkids live on this life, and my kids live on this life. And there was this just exceedingly abundant joy beyond the surface of everything that was going on in his life. Today I want to talk about joy. And I want to talk about this, this experience beyond the appearance of things as they, as they are. And when I think about joy, I think about joy as the experience of delight amid the paradox of life and death. Because we live in this world where there's contradictions everywhere, where there is life at one moment, we are healthy and we are whole, and then in the next minute we're sick and we are weak, and we never quite know when one is going to happen and when the other. We live with this incredible unknown, this amazing uncertainty in human life. We live in this paradox all around us at all time. Um, and not only is it this physical paradox, but it's this metaphorical paradox. There's these moments, these possibilities we're given that all of a sudden end up as like closed doors. And then there are these closed doors that all of a sudden open in a ways that we never saw, filled with possibility, endless things for our life to pursue. And then there's this joy underneath all of this stuff of human life. We have this experience of delight. This experience of satisfaction that is often hard to put into words, isn't it? The paradox of life and death and this joy that sort of swells in us. When the newborn baby is born 
in times where we are just working, we're pouring ourselves out, in times of sickness, in times of death, we experience this abundant joy. I remember this summer, um, Stacy and I and the kids, we went to a hike in Fair Play, and we got off the trail quite a bit, and we were just going through this beautiful forest after forest, and I remember seeing like these like beautiful big blue spruce trees, and then these amazing, healthy, robust aspen trees, but then on the floor of that forest was was dead trees, fallen everywhere. And I remember seeing the like critters like running through all the trees, through all the dead and through all that was alive. And I remember looking at my kids and Stacy and just like with this observation of, wow, the forest is full of life and death. Right here in this very forest, there's, there's stuff that is flourishing, there's stuff that is declining. And isn't that just like life? And in the midst of it, as we're running around this forest, there's like my kids are laughing and we're playing hide and seek and we're trying to catch one another and there's this joy in this forest, this contradiction, this paradox all around us of life and death growing. And and we live and we grow in the midst of this paradox all the time. It transforms us. This is the reality that we live in. And that, that reminds me of this really beautiful passage in the Gospel of John, John chapter 15. Bible scholars call it the farewell discourse. And because Jesus is headed to the cross, to this moment of death, this paradox once again. And he says in these words, I am the vine and you are the branches. And there's, there's no other beautiful way to describe this connection that we have with God than by this beautiful paradox over and over again of life and of death. And he goes on to describe this paradox as we, we abide in this, we are the branches, this is the vine. And sometimes in our life, we are connected, we are abiding, and there's this great beauty. Our lives are growing and flourishing in all kinds of ways. And then sometimes we are connected to this branch and it feels like everything around us is dying. It feels like we're not quite in rhythm, we're not quite flourishing the way we should. And this beautiful passage invites us to Think about this organic metaphor of all of our lives. Times when we grow and times when we need to be pruned back. Times when we need to let, uh, let our blossoms shine. And times when we need to take a step back, renew ourselves deeply in this abiding branch that is God. And in this passage, as it, as it works its way through as this metaphor, it comes to this beautiful line. In ch- verse 11, it says, I have said these things so that you, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And there's this paradox, once again, this reciprocity between God and humans that as we abide in God, we experience this love that shares itself with the world. And as we share this love, we experience this joy that's beyond the surface of everything, that's beyond the paradox of it all. And it's fascinating to me because it's this challenge, right? It's this challenge for us to identify that something is working within us that's greater than all the realities that we see, that in the paradox of death and life, there is a joy that is welling up within us. There is a joy that is ours to have. And this is the eternal internal. And we are challenged in this verse to see our lives, to literally literally chart the course of the compass of our internals with joy. To see the paradox of it all, the unknowns, the insecurities, to find within it all a joy that's abiding and lasting. And what, what amazes me about this passage is that the opposite is also true. 
there's a challenge and there's a promise in this passage that God is the one who delights in you. That God is the one who finds joy in you. That in all your process and in all your frailties and all your vulnerabilities, God has joy over your life. The way you are growing, where you are headed, there's this beauty that God delights in you and you are able to delight in all the unknowns and all the, the um, paradoxes of your life. This is made really clear by the Apostle Paul, who uh, St. Paul, as they called him, who was absolutely captured by this message of love and sharing it with the world. And he writes to the letter, his letter to the Philippians, a letter of a church that he planted in modern-day Turkey. And it's incredible because he just seems to embody this sense of Jesus' joy, this eternal internal. And he writes, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of you, my prayers for all of you, because of your sharing in the gospel from this day until now. And so he experiences, even in the uncertainties of what this new faith community is becoming, he experiences this joy for them, this joy for what is coming in their life. And because joy celebrates the process, not always the, the end or the destination. Joy celebrates the discoveries. Joy celebrates that we're all on a great journey. And it's able to meet us exactly where we're at in that journey. It takes a real look at life and celebrates what it is. Joy celebrates not exactly um, what we're going to be, but who we are in this moment. And it's that joy that propels us to become what we're supposed to be. So then um, out of this great joy that St. Paul has, he says, this is why he has this joy. Because I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. And again, that commitment of the vine and the branches, that commitment that our lives are not only our own, that there is a mysterious, wonderful, awe-inspiring God who is shaping and crafting our life, who is helping tune our eternals to joy. And that made me think um, this week about joy and, and oftentimes about how... Um, I know Tim said that I have a joyous spirit, but oftentimes I don't feel joyful about everything. I don't always experience the joy. In fact, if I am like brutally honest, I am so much better at pointing out and sort of dwelling myself on the difficulties, on the pain, and on the struggles. It's easier for me to name that paradox as like, oh, here's the paradox again, and to sort of stay in this spot of like suspended commitment, if you know what I mean, that spot of like, well, it's not joyful, it's not bad, I'll just sort of like cruise over here, you know. I know there's good, I know there's bad. And this incredible invitation for us to see amid these paradoxes, joy. To see our children developing in these wonderful ways, even though it's been a hard day raising them, right? That's joy. And so I wondered, um, what, is it, what does it take how do we understand our lives? How, how can our souls, our very internal, sing with the joy that Jesus is inviting us to? And once again, I came back to that beautiful, amazing poet, Mary Oliver. She writes this poem called Mindfulness, and this is how it goes. She says, Every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight, that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light. It is what I was born for, to look, listen, to lose myself inside this soft world, to instruct myself over and over in joy and acclamation 
nor am I talking about the exceptional, the fearful, the dreadful, the very extravagant, but the ordinary, the common, the very drab, the daily presentations. And I love this beautiful poem and Mary Oliver sort of hinting at this way that we can cultivate this joy within us is to instruct ourselves over and over in joy. To sort of remind ourselves, to teach ourselves that in the midst of the paradox of life and death, in the contradiction and the uncertainty of it all, there's real joy. There is this experience of delight, of satisfaction that you have a beating heart in this world and that you can do something with that beating heart. I read a blog that was, um, as I was trying to think, continue to think about this, of a man who was physically handicapped from age 19 onwards, and his thoughts are so rich on joy. And he writes this in his blog. He says, to notice your joys instead of minimizing or discounting them is to become joyous. Notice joy. Nourish joy. Consciously take advantage of opportunities to experience joy. Joy known over a long period of time takes you beyond yourself, deepening and expanding your mind beyond the boundaries of your disconnections. So joy is something we instruct ourselves in. Joy is something that we need to nourish, that we need to um, notice over, that we need to talk about again and again. And, and this is not the type of joy of that superficiality. This is beyond that. This is not the type of just simple cheerfulness. This is the type of deeply felt joy that says, no, I can look at the real realities of life, of the heartache, of the pain, of all this, and still talk about this joy that I see around me in this beautiful world that I live in. And all this made me think of Madeline LaIngle, and she has this one phrase that I thought is just so helpful, and she says, it is the ability to choose which makes us human. And I thought about all this, this beautiful challenge from Jesus to create, cultivate internals of joy. And I thought about it's, it's as simple and as difficult as saying, looking into the mirror and telling the universe every day, I choose joy. I choose joy. I choose joy. In the midst of a world of unknowns and uncertainties, we have to look at one another and remind each other every day, I choose joy. I choose to look underneath the appearance of things to see where love is most at work. The last week of Jesus' life, he asked his disciples to go into town, into Jerusalem, and, and to get a cult. And, and, and it's very strange because we know that this story is heading towards crucifixion and then finally resurrection. And so his disciples go into the town and they get this cult. And then they start taking off their cloaks and lying them on this, 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 really, this donkey, this young coat. And then in the, literally in the streets, Jesus gets on this donkey and he's processing through the streets of Jerusalem. And it's a, it's a little donkey and some, some cloaks. And then the local farmers are laying palm branches out. And it's a scene of utter simplicity in the ancient world. It's local farmers and, and fishermen who are having this processional through Jerusalem. And so it's, it's actually a very strange story. And then all of a sudden, there's this incredible joy. As the disciples say, the disciples began to praise God joyfully 
with a loud voice. And then this processional picks up speed and people are joining into the streets. They've heard of the miracles and the work of Jesus and they say, they come and they with loud voice say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And again, the, this beautiful passage tells us they're shouting with joy and saying, peace in heaven and glory in the highest of heaven. So there's this processional going on in Jerusalem with a colt, with some cloaks, and with some palm branches. And so what is going on in this story? And this story is, it helps us to understand that in Rome, the, the, the power of all of these Middle Eastern countries at this time is given to Rome. Rome ruled over Jerusalem, and they would have what they called a Roman processional. In this Roman processional, through the streets, they would have these big chariots. They would carry the gold and silver, all the plunders of the nation they just, they just devoured. They would carry, if you notice in the picture, this is a picture, an ancient picture of a Roman processional. And this is a menorah, symbolizing that the Jewish people have now been captured by Rome. And so this is how Rome sort of put out its marketing ad branding of like, we are the big bad dudes on the block, don't mess with us. So they would have a processional through the streets telling everyone symbolically, listen, don't mess with us, we're Rome. And by the way, some tax people are now coming, right? This is how it works with empires. And so Jesus, knowing this incredible background, Jesus holds a counter processional. Jesus says that the, the appearance of things are not always the appearance of things. There is something working underneath the surface. There is something a week from now that's so climactic and transformative from our world and you have not seen it all yet. So Jesus decides to have a little donkey and process through Jerusalem with those who would follow him, waving their hosannas, giving their blessings out of their mouth. And Jesus decides... That before crucifixion happens, we got to have a little bit of joy. That in the midst of this terrible, awful thing that's going to happen during Holy Week, it's time for joy. And it's like Jesus gives us this little foretaste of what it's going to look like when the kingdom of God comes to the earth. That there's going to be love and compassion. There's going to be freedom for others and forgiveness. And there's no longer going to be the Rome, Rome with its mighty power uh, enslaving the world. So Jesus not only invites us and challenges us to joy, but then Jesus does this incredibly symbolic counter-processional saying, joy is coming. Joy is coming. And on this day, we can look at this whole movement, what it's going to be, but don't forget, even though we're going to go through the darkest night of the soul, this thing is about joy. And on Sunday morning, joy is going to be ours once again. And so, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul that I talked about, at the end of the letter of Philippians, he says it so beautifully. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And he's basically just saying to us, choose joy. Choose joy. Choose to look at the narrative and storyline of your life with joy. And it's been helpful for me in my life to think about all these roles I play, all these different spheres of influence that I have. And so um, many of us in this room are parents. And many of us have partners in this room, husbands, wives. Many of us are friends to others. Then there's many of us who have a career where businessmen or businesswomen or teachers or psychologists or uh, construction workers, whatever we find our living in. And some of us are students in high school or in college. 
And then this, this is one for our day, right? We are citizens. We, there's like these political elections coming up, right? And even though we don't want to be citizens right now, um, <laughs> we are citizens. And then all of us, um, the irony of our lives as we age, then we, we always are sons and daughters of someone. And, um, and all these are these different roles we play. I remember in college, um, I was like reading this book of poems for this literature class, right? And uh, my good friends who live in the apartment building, this, this awesome man from India, he comes out and he was a civil engineer and he looks at me and like the sun is bright and I have like this iced tea and I'm reading these book of poems and he's like headed to go downtown to be in his little cubicle hammering out this engineering and he's like, oh, would be nice to read some poems today. And it like hit me because I was like, I got to read these poems and write this essay. And it, it really hit me of like, oh my goodness, that's joy. There is a joy in being a student. There is a joy in being a parent. It's not always easy. There is raw and real, and there's that, um, that again, that, that um, life and death everywhere, but being a parent is, is, is joyful. Having a career, doing a job with our hands, there is joy in the work. And so the question for us, the question that Jesus asks us on this week before he heads towards the cross is, Will we choose joy? And I, I think the question is, in what area of our life do we most need to say, I need to, to choose joy as a parent right now. I need to choose joy as a partner right now, as a friend, in my career, as a student, as a citizen, or as a son and a daughter. And I just invite you right now in this space just to think through, what is that one that you need to choose joy? to instruct yourself over and over again on what is best about these roles you play. There's this beautiful blessing um, in the book of Numbers and uh, joy often in the Bible and God's joy and delight in us is often talked about as God's smile. So this, this, the smile of the divine over your life. And there's this incredible blessing that I wanna give to you as you choose joy, as you look in the mirror, as you say to one another, I will let joy be the story of my life. And it comes from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.